You're listening to the Promised Church's message of the week. We hope you enjoy this teaching by Pastor Aaron. All right. Uh, grab your Bibles and turn them with me to, to Luke chapter 10. This morning, I want to read through this passage. Uh, it's going to be, it's a portion of scripture that many of us are familiar with, and we're going to kind of hit back on it over the course of this morning. And um, it's the story of the Good Samaritan, one, again, that you've probably, if you've been in church since you were a child, you've seen it on the boards with the little action figures of the man bleeding along the road and the two guys walking by and the Good Samaritan coming. We're going to look at that this morning, and I believe it's going to give us context for what the Lord wants to say to us today. In Luke chapter 10, verse 25, it says, On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Verse 26, what is written in the law? Jesus replied to him, how do you read it? And the man answered, it says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all your strength and with all of your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, you have answered correctly, do this and you will live. But the man wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said this to him. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes. They beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be walking down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on the donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. This morning, I want to talk to you about a topic that maybe for many of you, you've never heard preached about in church before. And for that, I am desperately sorry. I want to speak to you on a topic that today in our culture uh, is at the front of every news cycle, it's at the top of every social media feed, and it is the topic of racism. A couple of days ago, I heard a story of one of my heroes, whose name is Bishop T.D. Jakes. He's a pastor out of Texas. He's a black man, and he's who I really changed my life through many of my teenage years as I listened to many of his messages. And he told a story about a trip that he took to Ghana. And he went to an area where there was slave trading going on. And he went to a holding cell or a prison where they would keep the slaves before they would ship them off by boat. And he described the scene, how they would take these these black men and women and shove them into these, these holding cells like sardines, where they would literally defecate on top of each other and it would just drip down their bodies. The stench was so extreme that even though it was right next to the wind and the waves and the water, that after all these years, you could still smell the smell from decades ago. He described how you could see the claw marks in the rock as they begin to try to resist being sold away. Up above on the ground, there was a great where they would castrate the men and they would wash off the women to rape them before they made them. And he describes this scene as he stands there 
is he's witnessing the atrocity that occurred just only decades ago. And right down the road is a church. And as he's describing the scene, my heart just began to break because you begin to realize how many people went every day, every Sunday maybe to that church, read their Bible, lifted their hands, declared that Jesus loves everyone, said that we're all, we're all loved by God. And yet a stone's throw away, people were being brutalized and oppressed. Guards who were doing it themselves would attend church on Sundays and sing the songs. And the Lord began to convict my heart because he began to say, Aaron, for too long, the church has remained silent on an issue that has been at the center of my heart from the very beginning of time. For too long, the church has chosen to be ignorant and shove their head in the sand and not recognize what might be happening right next door to them. And that's why today, this title of this message is simply this, we're breaking the silence. See, in, in our church culture, you may not be aware of this, but we have people leave in the middle of worship, not unregularly. And if you didn't know this, our worship can be pretty extreme to people. Surprise, you probably already knew that. And sometimes, at a semi-regular basis, people will walk out before the first song's even done. They'll just get up and like, this isn't for me. And you know what's fascinating about that is we, we see that and our reaction is not, man, maybe we should change the way we're doing things. Now, we don't say that. Not to be disingenuous, but there's almost like a badge of honor. Like, that's right. We will not sacrifice. We, we even stand stronger. Like, we will not sacrifice the presence of God to make people feel comfortable. But isn't it interesting how we will be just fine making people feel uncomfortable about that. But when it comes to talking about sensitive topics, we totally disregard them. Abortion, homosexuality. Racism, we won't discuss it out of fear of making people feel uncomfortable. And maybe I'm saying that just for me. Maybe you've never thought about that. But in terms of pastors and churches that you've may have attended in the past, it is a very real issue. I grew up in a family where there was zero racism. We never, we never thought anything about somebody being less than us. I remember growing up, my, one of my best friends in kindergarten through all of elementary was a black boy named Kenny. We were great friends growing up. I remember when I was a young teenager, I got my first gospel album written by a man named Israel Hutton, still leads worship today. And just in case you're wondering, because of him is why I named my son Israel. My son's best friend today is a black boy named Noah. 
And I felt like I had zero racism in my heart. And I've realized over the past couple of weeks, as the Lord has just been surgically cutting through me, how there are things in me and perceptions in me that need to change. How my perspective of people and those around me is incomplete. I have growth that I need to have. I have a perspective that I have yet learned. I do not understand things that I thought I once did. Racism at its core is evil. It is totally contrary to the gospel of Jesus. But for some reason, we've chosen to not talk about it. We've chosen to be that church in Ghana with a diabolical attempt at destroying lives and minimizing the value of human life all the while a church sits there completely silent about the atrocities right down the road. Totally ignorant. And I believe that the church, me included, have been living the same way. When we read this story of the Good Samaritan, we read a story about how a man was beaten up, left half for dead, laying on the side of the road. Who were the first two people that walked by? They were religious people. They were a priest and they were a Levite, which came from a tribe of priests. And I can imagine as that first priest walked by and he saw that man laying on the side of the road, he said, not my problem. I got better things to do. He looked at that situation and you know what he probably thought? Maybe he deserved it. Maybe he did something to deserve what happened to him. Maybe he made a mistake and, and I don't know who beat him up. I don't know who left him half forget dead, but maybe he deserved it. And he walked to the other side and he said, you know what, not my problem. Maybe the priest or the Levite walked by and he saw the problem. He said, you know, I'm not from around here. So this really isn't my issue because somebody else needs to deal with it. I need to go on living my life and I'm sure somebody else will take care of that problem because not my issue. And these two religious men walk to the other side, turn their head and ignore the problem happening right next to them. And then the Samaritan man comes by. Isn't it interesting? It's the Samaritan, the same as the woman at the well who met Jesus, who said uh, Jews and Samaritans aren't supposed to be talking to each other. But yet Jesus uses the Samaritan man to say, but that man, the one you won't associate with, the one you think you're better than, he's the one who comes and kneels down and gets in their mess and says, let me help you. See, today... The question isn't even whether racism is real or it isn't. It's there is a group of people who are hurting, who feel ostracized, who feel oppressed. And what does the church do? We try to convince them, I don't think you really are. I don't think it's my problem. I'm too busy doing these things. And I understand that this morning I may say some things that make you feel very uncomfortable and I'm okay with that. <laughs> 
I hope it makes you feel uncomfortable because I believe that the Lord is calling us up. I believe the Lord is searching your heart this morning. What will you do? How will you respond? Will you cast judgment? Looking at the person inside the room, he probably deserved it. He probably did something to somebody else and he deserved what happened to him. This isn't a message about whether somebody deserved an act or didn't deserve an act. It's not a message against police. I know many amazing police officers. Many go to this church and they're awesome people and I'm so grateful for their service. I'm so grateful for their sacrifice protecting us. This isn't about any of that. This is about the church breaking our silence on an issue inside of a culture of people that we've chosen to ignore and try to convince them that it's not real, separating ourselves from any responsibility. The church staying silent rather than loving. In Isaiah chapter one, verse 17, it says, learn what it means to do what is good. Let's go to school for a moment. Let's learn. By seeking righteousness and justice. Man, we love singing about it, dance upon injustice. Rescue the oppressed. Uphold the rights of the fatherless and defend the widow's cause. Come now and let's deliberate over the next steps to take together. This is what we're doing right now. Rescue the oppressed. Notice it doesn't say, maybe you decide whether they are actually oppressed or not. Let me paint a picture for you of counseling. What a counseling session that we do in terms of if we were to talk to a black man or a black woman today maybe. If I had somebody come up to me who believed that they were verbally abused as a child, and they begin to tell me about what somebody said to them, how they treated them, how they mocked them, how they ridiculed them. And if I responded in such a way like, man, it's not that big of a deal. I, I don't think they really meant it when they said it to you. Man, I think you're taking a little bit out of context. I think you should calm down a little bit. You're a little too extreme right now. You all would slap me in the face. How insensitive. How dare you look at somebody who was verbally abused as a child and discredit the way they feel? Yeah. No, what do we do? We get down with them in their mess and we hug them, we embrace them. I'm so sorry you feel that way. Help me to understand what you went through. We pray with them, we cry with them, we weep with them, we mourn with them. And then we, we try to be part of the solution with them. But yet for so long, Many people's responses when we hear about the injustice happening in the African-American community, we try to say, well, that's not what really happened to you. How can you feel that way? They didn't really mean it when they said that way. That was just an isolated incident. This is not a message that's political. It's not about Republican or Democrat, liberal, or conservative. I know many amazing Republicans and I equally know as many amazing Democrats, all of which love the Lord. This is about the church awakening and breaking our silence and talking about an issue that needs to be I will be transparent with you. When I see a video prior to two weeks ago 
of somebody dying or being killed who was an African-American by a white man, my first reaction is, well, what did they do? Like they must have done something. I tried to reason away. I would see different clips and videos and try to think that's not, it's just isolated. It's not really a big deal. Like why, why such a strong reaction? Like we should be fine. We should be able to move past that. And then over the last couple of weeks, I've begun to stop and realize that my perspective may be incomplete and I need to begin to learn. I need to begin to ask questions. I need to begin to try to understand something that I definitely do not understand. So I begin to call some people, meet with some people. I called, I called somebody yesterday who goes to this church who is black. And I begin to ask them how they feel. And he began to tell me, he's like, Aaron, have you ever sat in your car and had three guns drawn on you as you sit there? I'm like, no. And he says to me, he says, well, I have. And I've lived in fear because I see what happens all throughout the country and I think it could happen to me or it could happen to my children. I talk with Jeffrey and Jeffrey's like, Aaron, I have fear in me. It's there because of what's happened to people that look like me. And I begin to understand that I don't realize what people may be experiencing. And just because I don't realize it, just because I haven't felt it, doesn't mean it's not happening. And too often, we project what we would expect us to react to. We project what we expect how them to react. We begin to criticize a response and a symptom rather than recognizing the sickness that is there. And we criticize a symptom rather than realize there's something, a sickness that is prevalent and has been around. So I will say this. There is racism in our country. And there is racism in Woodland. I'm sorry if you felt it wasn't here, but you're wrong. It is here. I was speaking with Alex Garcia, who is a Latino. And a couple years ago, if you've been attending our church, you heard me preach a message about racism and prejudice. And at that time, I stood up here and I said, I believe that racism is dying and nearly dead, but there is a problem of prejudice. I was thoroughly convinced. And I came down and Alex came over to me a couple weeks later on a Wednesday night. And he said, Aaron, thank you for talking about that, but I've got to correct you. He said, racism is not dead. I experience it all the time. As a manager at a bank, you would be shocked at how often I experience racism directed towards me. In Woodland. This is not an issue in Chicago or New York, and we're separate from it. This is a humanity issue. And I will be very clear. I understand when people say this is a sin issue. I understand what they're trying to say, but I, I don't like that statement. This is a sin issue. You're absolutely right, but isn't it interesting 
how I can stand up and do a series on purity or a series on pornography or talk about lust and sexual sin and we'll call it by name. But when it comes to racism, we wanna take it and lump it into a pot called sin and not call it what it is. We're gonna name it. We're gonna call it out and we're gonna stay accountable and we're gonna keep each other accountable. This church, the Promise Church, will not shy away from talking about issues such as racism. We will not be intimidated by how it may make you feel, but we will speak the truth of God regardless of the situation. We will welcome whether they're black, brown, whether they're Asian or Latino, whether they're Caucasian, whether they're good people or bad people, whether they're weird or normal, whether they look like you, talk like you, or look like me. It does not matter. We will welcome everybody. You come in and encounter the love of Jesus regardless of what you look like. And we've always lived that way, but we've never done this. And I'm sorry, but a blackout Tuesday with nothing on your screen on a Tuesday means absolutely nothing. It means absolutely nothing in the grand scheme of things. And I'm so proud of everyone who stood up and said, I'm gonna post something, great. Well, what did you do on Wednesday? You moved on with your life. You know who hasn't moved on with their life? are the ones who are facing oppression. It is not our job to try to decide for them whether they are actually oppressed. Immaterial. And you can show me statistics and you can show me videos that try to contradict that point. I welcome them, I'll watch them. I will just disagree with whether they're material or not. Because right now, all that matters is the church rising up and saying, who is sick? Who is oppressed? Who is hurting? Who is angry? Who is frustrated? To you, I come to you and I embrace you. It is not my job to decide whether it's real or not. I love you regardless. And I would stand up here and say it is real. 1 Corinthians 13, one through eight. If I speak in the tongues of men, and of angels, but have not love. I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. We got a lot of clanging cymbals in this church right now, in this area right now. A lot of people sounding a gong, trying to prove a point rather than loving. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant. Come on, somebody. It is not arrogant thinking that I'm better, think that I know better, even when I have no idea what somebody else may be experiencing or thinking. Or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, bears, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures, endures all things. Love never ends. Our job as the church, you know, it would almost be easier for us to look at a prostitute who gets raped and feel sorry for them at times than it would be for us to stand next to a black man and say, I will stand with you. Why is that? 
makes me angry. We have so disconnected ourselves to think that a problem doesn't exist. And you may be listening to me and completely disagree with me, and that's totally fine. I love you just the same. But I will tell you, if you would trust me for a moment, that I believe that God wants to speak to us today to tell us that there is a problem that is more real than maybe you give it credit for. Not one person of a minority race have I spoken to in the last two weeks, and I've spoken to a lot of them, that tells me, Aaron, you, there is no racism in our country. It's, it's a complete scam. Not one person. You know the only people that try to convince me of that? People who are not of a minority race in this country. And unfortunately, we've had a lot of clinging symbols lately. A lot of people trying to preach the Bible without love, trying to preach a message without love, trying to come and convince somebody they're wrong without love, criticizing a protest and yeah, I'm against destruction. I'm against looting. It's not right. But I would much rather understand the sickness than criticize the symptom. So I want to just give you a couple of things to begin to do. Things that I've tried to begin to do. To begin to admit that my perspective is incomplete. You must begin there. I may not know everything. If I could help you, you don't. To recognize first that I might need to learn something. I may need to understand something. And if you've noticed today, I will not change the narrative. I will not make it be about one thing or another. I'll make it be about one issue and it is racism and removing it from anything that moves, lives, or breathes. We may not have a complete perspective when it comes to racism, when it comes to prejudice in ourselves. I've realized that even as I described how I grew up, how I have been friends with different people of minority descent, I love them, but the Lord began to convict me in how I, my heart was as I would watch. I've watched so many videos. I have cried as I've watched different things happen. And then I've watched other videos where people begin to criticize and begin to throw shade and begin to, and, and begin to try to convince somebody who's feeling pain. You don't really feel pain. You're in the wrong for the pain that you're feeling. How stupid. Next one is listen, ask questions, understand. Last year at this time, I was in Iraq. And before I went, the people who I was going with, David, he was there and he was telling me how he's like, Aaron, I believe what the Bible says that if you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my father. He said, where we're going, we could die. I just want you to be prepared for that. And I kind of laughed. And then I was freaked out. And me and my wife, we actually literally fasted for a while because we're like, do I actually want to go? And when we got there, um, I, rem we, I remember going out on the streets, telling people about Jesus, and the fear came in as I'm looking over my shoulder, going into a mosque with a couple hundreds of Muslims preaching the gospel with people who are very bad dudes. 
and quivering in fear, realizing what we were just doing. And all of a sudden, in that moment, I understood what David goes through every day. Like, I got it. I was like, I understand now because I felt what you feel. You want to know what I can't do is I can't make my skin a different color. I can't all of a sudden become black and feel what somebody feels. But what I can do is I can stop and ask and learn and try to understand. The next one is begin to pray. And I've been praying a lot. God, search my heart. See if there be any wicked in me. Let's start there. Get me right first. Get my heart right first. I want to stand with my brother. I want to stand with those who are, who are feeling oppressed. I want to stand with those who feel afraid. Do I feel their fear? No. Do I understand their fear? Not yet, but I will stand with you. This is the job of the church, is to defend the oppressed. It doesn't say decide whether you agree with them. It just says defend them. This is our job as the body of Christ. This is the gospel of Jesus. And if this offends you to talk about, I would tell you, then you need to learn the heart of God. Because God's heart is for all. He loves all the same. And he comes to those who are broken, who are brokenhearted, who are, who are desperate to see something change around. He comes to those who are hurting, who comes to those who are afflicted. And he says, I came, I came for you. You want to know who he didn't come through when he came on the earth? He didn't come for the religious crowd because they thought they had it all figured out. This is why the Samaritan in the story was the one who helped and the priest and the Levite didn't because they tried to reason away. They tried to use scripture to say, why it's not my problem, it's somebody else's problem. I'm too distant, I'm too removed. Distance makes me feel like it's not my problem. It's our problem. It is this church's problem and it will always be this church's problem. First John 4, 19 through 21 says, we love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command, anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. I love this verse, but I think sometimes we forget a key word. Because many of us will hear this verse and will say, well, I don't hate anyone. But it says, if you cannot love those whom you have seen, if you cannot love them. Notice the story of the Good Samaritan. The guy asks him before he tells the parable, who's my neighbor? And this isn't Mr. Rogers' neighborhood. This is a real, who's your neighbor? Your neighbor looks different than you. Your neighbor doesn't think like you. Your neighbor has a different skin color than you. Your neighbor might have a different religion than you. Your neighbor might come from a different part of the world than you. They might have a different political belief than you. Your neighbor might be homosexual. Your neighbor might have drug issues. Your neighbor might have sin issues. They're your neighbor. If we think our neighbor simply exists in this room, we have missed the whole thing. Our neighbors 
Are people who are hurting, are people who are healthy, are people who are sick, are people who are diseased, are people who are rich, are people who are poor, are people who are Democrat, people who are Republican, are people who are facing racism, are people who are white supremacists, they are everyone. Who is your neighbor? It's time for the church to rise up and address an issue that's been ignored for far too long and break our silence. To not be intimidated or scared to talk about it. I've talked about it with my kids a lot these last couple of days, trying to teach them about racism. To not be intimidated to pray about it, to not be intimidated to go to a black man or a black woman and say, help me learn. Tell me something. Teach me what you're going through. Help me understand. To ask them, how are you feeling right now? The Lord has been convicting my heart, even when it comes to the Latino community in our city. How we have looked at them and expected them to break barriers to get to here, rather than us to go to them and break them down for them. Well, if they would just learn English, are you kidding me? And I've believed those same things. We'll take a mission trip to Mexico to go preach the gospel to a Spanish speaking country, but we won't go to the ones that live right next door, our neighbor. I believe that God wants to break your heart today. I believe he wants to bring the fire of God that is so hot, that blue flame that molds, that metal can mold and be shaped. And he wants to remove the impurities and he wants to help you see his heart in this matter. And maybe for many of you, you've been watching what has been going on and you've ignored it. You've become angry for other reasons. You've looked at what's happening and you've tried to say, it's not, that's not the problem. This is actually the problem. Well, this is what I think. Well, this is what I think should happen. And we try to project our views and our perspectives. Let's work, look at what the word of God says, because that word is the lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And that is the word that begins to give us direction in a time like this. And it's that word that shows us, everybody look at me, it's that word that shows us how to respond in crisis. Isn't it interesting? We just had a crisis where we were all wondering, is it revelation coming now? Is God actually forced? COVID now, we all gonna die. And then we experienced a crisis where we wonder, who is my neighbor? Do I actually believe in racism? What did the man say to Jesus? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and then love your neighbor. We just experienced both of those in a matter of two months. And I'll be honest, most Christians failed the test. Panicking, concerned, uh, scared out of their mind. Are we going to survive? You know, is, is God coming back and, or is the devil going to destroy us? Whatever it is. And then all of a sudden we come to this next, this next part and it's, well, I don't believe them and they're wrong and, and criticizing them and not loving our neighbor and not keeping our eyes on Jesus. All happened in a matter of two to three months. And we ask the Lord to grow us and to transform us. And then we get surprised when he tries to. Where'd that come from? Well, you asked. 
Why don't you stand with me? If there is a child that's abused sexually in a home by a parent or by a relative, it is very hard for them to forgive that individual, understandably so. You want to know who it's equally as hard for them to forgive? Proven by therapy and counselors, the people who knew about it and did nothing. It's actually almost harder for them to forgive those people who stayed silent than it is for them to forgive the people who did it to them. We're that parent that has stayed silent while our child, while our family member has been abused by somebody else. We've looked the other way. No more. And I want us to just pray for a moment. And I want us to ask the Lord to search our hearts. Father, I, I even just declare into this city and into this region, I prophesy over the promised church that this is a place of love and of hope. This is a place that gets down in the mess with those who are hurting. This is a place who embraces those who maybe we misunderstand, who offend us, who challenge us. This is a place of unity. And Father, I ask that every person here that you would search our hearts, that you would help us to grow that you would, you would help us, Lord, to stay humble. To be sensitive. To have compassion. Not pity. But compassion. That drives me to action. Lord, and I come against a spirit of racism and a spirit of, of elitism, a spirit of disunity. We come against them in the name of Jesus. God, and we ask that it be broken in this region, in this city, and in this nation in the name of Jesus. Father, and we pray for all of our black, African-American, our Latinos, our Eastern Europeans, those people who have experienced racism directed at them. God, we pray that you would show us how to love them, show us how to support them, show us how to stand with them. And Lord, I ask for you to forgive me. Forgive the church, Jesus, for being right down the road from slave trafficking, ignorant, 
celebrating their freedom but ignoring somebody else's slavery. I recognize that this morning that I've probably said a number of things wrong. And um, I recognize that I'm still learning. I'm still trying to understand and to grow. But I would rather say something and say it wrong than say nothing. I would much rather stand up for people that I don't understand than try to stay in comfort with just those that I do. And I believe the Lord is asking each one of you to do the same thing. Talk about it. Discuss it. Have conversation about it. Ask questions. Admit that you might be wrong. And grow and learn. And I would tell you to have conversations around your dinner table about it. Don't shield your children away from it. Don't try to keep them from feeling what's out there. Teach them. I can't control much, but I can control my children. I can control what they hear, what they believe right now. They're young. They're moldable. Teach them and train them. This is how the next generation sees racism eradicated from the world. By mothers and fathers beginning to take a stand in the home. Amen? Amen. Amen. Bringing up so much pain and hurt that I didn't even know was still in my heart. I had a friend text me earlier today. And he said, if you were to hold this sign, what would, what would your sign say? And my sign would say, dear Christians, if it hurts me, should it not hurt you? If it hurts me, should it not hurt you? That, that is what my sign would say. And, and I'm not talking necessarily just to this church. But if I could hold this sign, I would want to first address Christians in the church of America. Because if we don't get it right... As the leaders of America, then who's going to get it right? If justice can't start in the doors of the church, then when can justice come? Uh, Yesterday, I I had to drive to to be with family because it was my brother-in-law's birthday. And I I recognized that my registration in my car is expired. And I said, babe, how about you just drive? She didn't even know. She's not even going to know until, uh, until she watches this live stream. But I just had to take a bit of my heart because I know that if I get pulled over, something could happen. Last summer, I was going uh, to a, a July 4th a Memorial Day celebration. And I got pulled over on the back roads of Richfield. And do you want to know what I felt? Praise God, my encounter with the police officer was amazing. He told me to pull into the Chevron. But the fear that I felt in that moment... It's just being resurfaced. If you want to say that racism doesn't exist, and I'm talking to the principalities and powers, I'm not just talking to you, but that would be like me saying that being sunburned doesn't exist because it's never happened to me. When I was 15 years old, I was with my twin brother and my friend Jared, and we were in Pigeon Forge, Tennessee, walking down the street. This is a tourist town. 
And I see this can. I see this Confederate flag in a pickup truck drive past us and beat and then flip the bird to us for no reason. If you would have asked eight-year-old Jeffrey, does racism exist? I probably would have said, I, I don't know what racism, racism is because I'm eight. But the sad thing is if you asked 12-year-old Jeffrey, I would have told you, of course racism exists. I've seen it from my parents and I've seen it from my own self at 12 years old. I've been taught since 14. 14. Get your license, get your registration, get your insurance and put it on your lap. Don't make a move. So, Aaron, I honor you, bro. I so honor you because I'm sitting in that seat and I just start crying. These things just start coming up because there's been a pain in my heart for a long time. But you know what I believe? I believe that these are exciting times. You know, I believe slavery wasn't abolished until the church took a stand. Until the church spoke up. And I believe that we're in times where we can come to a place of unity to say, you know what, this is not right. And you know, unity always commands a blessing that when the the world looks on the church and they see brothers white and black marching towards the gospel for the gospel of Jesus Christ, addressing injustice, that we can see real revival in this land, that we can change history by breaking the silence. So I I just want to honor everyone in this building. I honor you, Pastor Aaron. I'm so thankful that we're addressing this thing. And I'm going to be honest. And I know I can speak on behalf of other minorities that we need deep, deep, deep deliverance. We as a church need to address the wrongs of the past. You see, I don't know if you know what deliverance is, but when you go through personal deliverance, you have to address issues of the past. And we as a country need to repent. We need to repent on what has happened, how this, how this country was founded. We need to repent. All of us. All of us. If that offends you, I'm sorry, but I'm not sorry. Romans 12, 15 says this, rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. It's time that we stop, we stop telling people, don't feel that way, or you're just seeing this in a different light, and we, we begin to lock arms with them. And my heart, my heart has been so touched because I've been numb to this thing for a while. Like, it's new to a lot of my white brothers and sisters. This is not new to me. But it's going to change because we're taking a stand. So I just, I just want to say, You guys are my family. I love you. You can come ask me whatever question you want to ask. Because this conversation, you see, when you reveal things out into the light, the devil has no power. Amen? So let's continue to pray. Let's continue to love not only and in word, but also in deed. And I believe that as a church, as the world looks in and they see us united, that we're going to see revival in the United States of America.